1: Welcome into the and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prairie, Eric Scopel is with me, as always, on this show. And today, on this Monday, we've got a great show for you. Going to dive into a lot of discussion around what Mario Cristobal discussed with GoDucks.com's editor-in-chief, Rob Mosley. Uh, Cristobal and Mosley did a, a live stream over Oregon's YouTube and Facebook pages. Uh, it, it was kind of like a fireside chat, if you will. Um, Rob had some questions and and we we got a lot of stuff from Mario Cristobal on recruiting, on the addition of Anthony Brown, uh, some updates on what the team is doing right now, some quarterback evaluations. There were a a ton of stuff uh, that, that was revealed by Cristobal. And before we dive into our takeaways from what Mario said on that Interview. I want to remind you guys, if you want to subscribe to duckterritory.com, you can. Your first month could be as low as $1 and then $9.95 thereafter, or you can sign up for an annual membership that saves you over $3 per month by doing so. Uh, highly encourage you guys to jump in on both of those options if you can afford it. Inside Scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. Read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network and you get access to insiders like Eric, Kevin Wade, our co-worker, and myself uh, on the site. All right, let's, real quick, I, I want to take, this is going to dictate the, the, the flow of the show here, Eric. Um, we got a lot from Cristobal, and looking at our show notes and kind of what he discussed, we got what's the coaches and players are up to right now, you know, his reaction to the governor, the state of Oregon saying no fans in stadiums, NFL draft response, recruiting, QB position battles, Joe Moorhead's fits, the line, defensive backs, a ton of stuff. The newcomers, uh, what was maybe not the most important thing, but maybe the most informative or revealing piece of information you gleaned from this press conference interview whatever we want to call it with Mario Cristobal
0: I'll start by saying it's hard to pick one because there were so much he said and of course we're dealing with the spot here where we haven't really heard from him in I think since early April or maybe it was late April I don't remember but it's been not definitely not late April it's definitely been about a month since we've heard from him in this kind of thing and obviously we weren't allowed to ask questions but I thought Rob did a good job of kind of covering a wide variety of topics, like you stated. Uh, I think the thing that maybe stands out the most is the confidence he communicated about this recruiting class. I think we've, I know, addressed it on the podcast multiple times Lots of lots of questions from fans on our mailbag podcasts or on the message boards about, like, what's going on with this recruiting class? Because Oregon has been so dominant recruiting, especially in 2019 and 2020, landing, you know, elite five-star talent from California and obviously other parts of the country as well. That the way the 2021 class shapes up right now felt a little disappointing, a little underwhelming, but Chris was asked about that um, pretty pretty directly for Mob in terms of, does the class, are you con- any concerns about the class? And he said, we feel this is going to be our best class, quite honestly. I know everybody wants numbers to stack up early, but it's almost like we're big game fishing right now in terms of the groundwork that's laid and the things that we feel are pretty imminent. We feel very strongly about it. So, I mean, you take those words and you go... Clearly, there's a ton of confidence right now with his recruiting class. I don't necessarily think you're going to expect Cristobal to say something different, but he doesn't have to communicate that sort of expectation to the fan base, right? I mean, he's—you can always, uh, you know, sell a little bit lower and, and, and turn in better results than that. And he went out and, and he put on a salesman cap and basically said, "We're going to go out and land some some big names. This is going to be a class that's going to get everybody excited." And he said that there are things that they feel are pretty imminent. And I found that comment to be pretty interesting in terms of, and you can read into that as you want, but that there are things that are the groundwork's been laid and that there are things that are pretty imminent communicates certainly a a large level of confidence that a lot of these elite recruits that Oregon is in on. And we've run through some of those names over the last couple of weeks through the podcast and on the site. Um, Clearly there's a ton of room for optimism from his perspective. So I thought that was probably the thing that, in going through this again and thinking about it again, everything that was said on on Thursday, I think that's probably where I start and go like, boy, he really uh, didn't hold back in, in terms of communicating his optimism for this recruiting cycle.
1: Yeah, Oregon's recruiting class is 25th in the country. They are second in the Pac 12. They have a recruiting average ranking of nine two two five. That's zero point nine two two five. And we should note, Eric, that that is significantly better than last year's class that finished 12th in the country that finished first in the pac 12 last year's recruiting class, their average ranking score was 0.9019. So Oregon is Oregon is a full, you know, they are well, they're well above that, that pace right now. They're well above the pace, uh, from 2020, which, which, excuse me, uh, 2019 that finished seventh in the country and first in the Pac-12. So I mean I've said this drum a ton of times. Their their recruiting is fine. They they just don't have a ton of commits while a bunch of other schools have loaded up on three-star talent. And that's why they're in the top 10 or that's why they're in the top 15 or top 20. Um, but to hear Cristobal come out and kind of double down on it that they've got things in the works tells me that. They are better off than what's presented in a public forum of looking at things of six verbal commitments and a 25 national ranking and second in the Pac-12, which tells me, I mean, there there could be, you know, a, a rush of commits at some point this summer that elevates Oregon back into that top five, top ten discussion.
0: And I think the thing that crystal did a good job of explaining, and it's it's something we'd pointed to before, but just the momentum that the spring game typically provides for the recruiting class, he said it's that explosion that takes place and is a catalyst for our class. That you know, and he, he pointed to the fact that he expected this year's spring game to be a record crowd. And um, there's reason for him. he pointed to the fact that the football program had just won a Rose Bowl. They'd won a Pac-12 championship. The women's basketball team by that point might have been a couple weeks removed from winning a, a national championship. Maybe the men's basketball team would have been in similar situation. The softball team was performing at such a high level. You've got yeah. so, uh, cross country and track, which you would have acknowledged and recognized that, that are, you know, performing really well. It, it just the, the overall excellence of the athletic department he pointed to, he thought that was going to set up a really, really strong recruiting weekend. And he said, typically, we have 100-plus stellar top-shelf recruits on campus, um, and that has always been in the first couple of dominoes that fall to start the class. Now we have to take a different path. Um, and, and it's clear that, you know, and we, we all know that the spring game is big from a recruiting perspective. And, of course, the other part of this is that you can't even visit after the spring game now, given the, 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 you know, the NCAA's uh, lockdown on recruiting visits. So... Uh, there's a lot of reasons for it. I think he laid it out pretty strong, and I'm with you, Matt, in terms of, like, I, I think it's been kind of easy to communicate sort of, I don't want to say pessimism, but some concern about this class. I know you felt better than I have, but hearing him come out and say these things leads me to believe, like like you said, that there might be something coming up here that's that's kind of exciting. You know, once things change a little bit, um, we talked earlier about the possibility of stashing, you know, silent commitments. I'm not saying or suggesting that's the case, but I think the scenario Matt ran through On Wednesday's Mailbag Podcast, we actually posted a written version on the site about how that kind of thing might come together. Maybe we will see something like that take place in the next couple of months where you see three to four to five verbal commitments pop up over the course of a week or two. And suddenly you look up from Oregon being a class ranked near the bottom of the top 25 to one that's maybe ranked um, in the mid-teens or high-teens or somewhere in that range instead.
1: All it's going to take is just a couple of guys to pop off and, and give a commitment to Oregon and you know be some of their top targets. And I, I look at you know some some players like Kingsley Sato Matia, an offensive tackle, a top 100 guy, Bram Walden, another top 100 recruit. That's an offensive tackle that could be relatively close to giving Oregon or giving us school. Um, we we don't know. You know, definitively, but it's, it's looking like Oregon's kind of the, the, the school for both those guys. But all it would take is just both of those players to, to commit to a school, to Oregon and all of a sudden you add them into the, the calculator and they go from being 25th in the country to 14th in the country. And their recruiting average is through the roof even more for where they're at. So, like I said, we've, we've said this a ton of times, it's just going to take a couple verbal commitments. I think Cristobal realizes that, and he of all people out there would know better than anyone else that how close this program is to landing a verbal commitment or multiple verbal commitments uh, for the 2021 recruiting class. Now, let's take a quick break. When we come back, um, we're going to dive into – some discussion of why Anthony Brown was signed. This is the first time Mario Cristobal has actually acknowledged his addition to the football program, the grad transfer quarterback from Boston College. We're also going to dive into um, some other discussion of freshmen that have shown up and also his response to the COVID-19 status and Oregon's governor, Kate Brown, announcing that, you know, Fans will most likely not be in attendance for the month of September for sporting events. All coming up on the Odds and Audible's podcast.
0: You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions
1: League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prey. Eric am Eric with me as always. And, uh, Eric, we teased it a little bit, but we got a little bit of clarity from Mario Cristobal on the addition of Anthony Brown, the grad transfer quarterback from Boston College. He has started basically every game for the Golden Eagles the last three seasons when he's been healthy. That's been the issue. He's suffered two different injuries his freshman year. And then also this past season, he missed about half the year, uh, it's the second half of the 2019 season because of it, another injury. Uh, but when he has been healthy, he's been the Eagles' starting quarterback. And we got a lot of clarity then the first kind of response from Cristobal of, of why they went out and, and signed a grad transfer quarterback despite being so high on Tyler Shuck.
0: It was it was yeah it was the first time that Cristobal had addressed that that addition. Um it was funny about 15 minutes in Matt and I were messaging each other on Slack and I'm like, "Wow, he's he's finally talking about Anthony Brown. It's the first time he's actually addressed this and it was a uh, it was good to hear um and some of the thinking behind it and he he said basically this comes down to providing competition at every position on the roster and that's what Brown is um in terms of a veteran quarterback who will help to challenge um Tyler Shuck, he said, I love the fact that we're bringing an experienced guy, and Anthony Brown, to bring some competition into that room and increase it. Um, but he also didn't shy away from kind of continuing to endorse Tyler Shuck about saying how he entered the spring as a starter. He left as a starter, which is something he said the last time we spoke with him. And I think it was early April. Um, but we're going to have to present him with competition. He said, I can't see, say enough of how pleased we are with his progression and his approach to the game. So pretty clearly this is an open competition very clearly they also really like tyler shuck and, and they wanted to con- i think Christopher is making it clear he wants to continue to provide confidence to provide positivity towards shuck to not make this sound like yeah we brought in this grad transfer because this shuck guy isn't what we expected him to be you know i think he's basically saying this is not a tyler shuck problem this is a we wanted to provide a competition and experience to a position that didn't have a lot of either i mean you think about the spring they have no experience behind Tyler Shuck at all, and, and Shuck himself doesn't have very much experience. And competition, I mean, and we, we said this before, and it's interesting to hear Christopher kind of come forward and say it. There really wasn't a competition. I mean, it was it was Tyler Shuck and everyone else. I mean, we start the camp started with Bradley Affie, a walk-on, working with the twos. Kale Millen eventually moved there, and I think Jay Butterfield picked up some as well. But there was never really an inkling at all through four practices that anyone besides Tyler Shuck would take a first-team rep. So. Anthony Brown provides some of that and I think that's the important thing that he communicated here is that this is about providing competition for Shuck this is not a we don't like what we have in Shuck we need to go find another solution this is a let's provide some competition some experience and it, you know maybe it's a separate scenario where Brown is is the better player and that's who they go with but this is not a we needed to find somebody because we didn't feel comfortable with who our quarterback is type of situation
1: one of the things I took away from Mario Cristobal and the quotes that he said and you look at the thing, This is what makes him so good, I think. And what makes this program, why I have the confidence this program will continue to always get better under Cristobal is because this quote, and this is Mario Cristobal talking, I don't think you can stress that enough, that you can provide enough competition. I think in this day and age, as it relates to all of us coaches players, you've got to make sure you do everything you can to keep everyone on edge of being the best they can be. And this is another way to do it. That's Mario Cristobal talking about the addition of Anthony Brown. But it's more so of it's not just that position in particular. It's he is going to do anything he can to bring in as much talent on the field, to bring in as much talent in the coaching staff, to bring in as much talent uh, in the recruiting department that he possibly can. And that he's said this a couple times that – He's, compar- you know, he's referenced the NFL. He said all these guys they want to get to the NFL, and in the NFL you have to fight for your job every single day because if if you slept, you slack and you step back, you could get cut. And he's he said that, and he said obviously in college you can't cut players, but we can certainly uh, bring in talent, and that's kind of what he's doing is every single time they're doubling down on the talent and letting the cream rise to the top, and the best players will play. And like you said, there really wasn't a competition for Tyler Shuck. And that could have allowed Shuck to kind of get into a place of state of mind or, or training or what have you. I'm not saying he did or would have, but it could have happened where he relaxes. And now he knows that he's back home in Arizona, he's training on his own, Cause everyone has, you know, everyone's away from the program right now. But if he's not doing what he needs to be doing, he'll lose his job because there's someone now, you know, right behind him that's his equal, if not better on the field from, from an experience standpoint, at least.
0: I agree 100%. and, And I think that's why this makes so much sense. And it's great having Cristobal communicate that. And I think that's, you're right. I think that's not just. Well, it's clearly not. It's not exclusive to just quarterback. It's every position, which is why you see when Oregon has all of its, basically its entire starting secondary back, they still in that 2020 class go out and they bring in a Bennett Williams, who's somebody who can challenge to start at safety. They bring in a Dante Manning, somebody who can challenge to possibly start at corner. Um, obviously those players have further eligibility. So it's not quite the same situation with Brown, but they're not recruiting or bringing in a talent thinking this is going to be, uh, something that will help us three to four years down the road. The plan with every addition and, and I guess, talent acquisition they make, which is Cristobal's term, is to is to create competition immediately. And that's what Anthony Brown does. And I think you bring up really good points about the possibility that Chuck could have gotten complacent. Um, you know, there's been so much talk and praise of him so far, and he hasn't really had a chance to prove it on the field. Now he's going to have to make sure he proves it every day in practice to himself and to his teammates. Um, and he's going to be forced to do so because he knows if he doesn't, Stack up, he's going to fall behind and Anthony Brown will be the starting quarterback. Um, so I, I think that those type of things, <clears throat> you know, I think we both kind of understood and endorsed the decision to begin with in terms of finding another quarterback. Um, this just makes you feel even better, I think, about the decision to do so and kind of the direction of that position going forward.
1: Now, I'm, I'm quite honestly surprised that Cristobal really announced or, or answered questions about Governor Brown's announcement. Kate Brown, uh, the state of Oregon governor. Earlier on Thursday, you know, five or six hours before Crystal Ball did his interview, Governor Kate Brown did a press conference, and in that press conference, she announced that the state of Oregon is starting phase one of opening up the state back up again, and businesses will be doing some limited openings, and, you know, phase two will be available for, for counties across the state in 21 days if they meet certain criteria, and, and overall, relatively very good news. Uh, but one, the one caveat, the one bad bit of news that she did announce was that it was the recommendation of the Oregon Health Authority that stadiums with fans, uh, concerts with fans, conventions, festivals, fairs, all of that would have to be, anything scheduled to run through the month of September should be canceled or heavily modified. And within hours, the Oregon County Fair uh, the state county fair, I should say, they canceled their 2020 fair. Like, the first time in, like, 146 years that the fair has been canceled. Um, I'm surprised Crystal Ball answered this question. Uh, we really haven't seen an official reaction from the University of Oregon's athletic department as a whole, but Christopher did discuss it a little bit on Thursday as well.
0: Yeah, he didn't – he didn't uh – Put any judgment on that decision and really didn't communicate much about that in particular. He just communicated about what the idea of an Ottson Stadium with fans would be like. And his opinion is what I think everybody's opinion is. is it's hard to imagine, he does what he said. Um, he says it's one of the only places in the country where the fans are a part of us. And he made a comment that when his team and when those players enter Ottson Stadium, he feels they grow three to four to five inches, they gain 40 pounds of muscle. Because of that energy, that juice and enthusiasm, the electrifying atmosphere created by our fans, that's hard to imagine not being around. So, and I think, what else is he going to say? I mean, I, I, I think clearly this is going to be strange if this is how it plays out. And right now, unless something drastically changes, if there are games in September, and that's the part that could drastically change, um, it's not going to be with a full crowd. And that's going to be bizarre. And I think, I think Crystal Ball, Acknowledge that point. He also acknowledged the fact that it'll be strange if they go on the road and their first road game is in Boulder on September 26th. If there are similar restrictions in the state of Colorado, it's going to be very strange because Oregon typically travels really well. And that's also a big part of, of what they do. And to me, I'm also thinking of like, man, there could be some fairness stuff called into question here. If, if you think about maybe some states you can have these big events take place, others you can't. Maybe Oregon's one of those where, where that's not a case, but they go to Boulder and, and that place is full of fans. I mean, and Oregon fans aren't really, uh, maybe that's Oregon's quote unquote season debut with its fans, and the fans all travel to Colorado. But um, I think interesting points there in terms of, yeah, it, it will be different if this is how it takes place. And I think he nails that, um, you know, in my mind. I think kind of, I think to me, summarizes what a lot of people are feeling right now, which is this is going to feel very, very strange. And it's hard to think about the possibility of entering Autzen Stadium with no fans cheering. And we should note that
1: this was a recommendation. Um it hasn't been mandated yet by the right. governor or the Oregon Health Authority. Um and it also doesn't mean the game is even if even if fans aren't allowed, let's just play that through. And that, you know, crowds are not allowed at those type of events, sporting events, concerts, conventions, festivals and, and fairs, doesn't mean that sporting events still can't happen. The game is still scheduled to be played, just Right now it's the recommendation that fans are not allowed into the stadium, uh, in some capacity. I mean, how do you define a large crowd? I mean, we, we could see that be, I'm just throwing out a number, but they, they could say, a, you know, a large audience for a sporting event could be deemed 20,000 people. And if you get 19,000 people in, that, that qualifies as okay. So that could happen as well. So games not canceled yet, uh, and it's only a recommendation as of now, um, but nonetheless, like Christopher said, it's going to be tough to imagine how sporting events would be played without fans in attendance. Um, I, I think I speak for you, Eric, as well. That, like if you told me that we would have either no sports for the next year, or we could get sports to be played over that same period of time, just fans would not be allowed in, I would take that. I mean, I mean it's, oh, yeah. it's
0: better than nothing, right? 100% it's better than nothing. And then that's what I've said all along. And I, and I think the fact that we're going through a pandemic, which on its its own is difficult, and there's no live sports at all to kind of keep us, I guess, our minds off of the realities of what's going on, has been something that's made it difficult. I mean, the fact that the Last Dance ESPN's documentary series has been like the big sporting event right now, When typically you'd be entering, you know, playoffs in the NBA and, um, you'd, well, we just wrapped up all sorts of, well, there'd be spring softball going on right now, probably, potentially in the NCAA tournament. All sorts of things would be going on right now. Um, to not have that, it has been weird. And the idea of not having that into the fall, I mean, the idea of no football in the fall, uh, is really hard to grapple with. And so, yeah, if, if there's a situation where it's, hey, fans don't come and the, you know, and but the game is played or the game is canceled, I think everybody would take, we'll just watch those games at home. We can enjoy it. At least it'll be a nice distraction. It'll be a way to kind of make things feel like they're back to normal, right? I mean, because for so many people, Saturdays in September, October, November, and even into December and January um, are, are, are filled with Oregon sports. And those are some of your cherished fall and winter memories. And to remove that in completely during a time like this would be, Really, really difficult, I think, for everybody to deal with. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. I think every, I'm pretty sure most people listening are as well. I don't think people out there... I think it would be almost selfish as a fan to say, if I can't be at that game, the game shouldn't be played. Um, you know, that's that's to me, is the wrong thought. I mean, that, there are so many people that this would be huge for around the country. And I think you'd have huge ratings, probably, from a TV perspective um, for these games because there'd be a ton of people that would typically be at games that would be watching. And then there's just a bunch of people that boy, like they miss sports. So, um, yeah, play the games if you can. I mean, that's, that, that has to be, to me, that at least feels like that has to be the ultimate goal is to let's find a way to at least get these games in, even if they're very different than they've ever been in the past.
1: Now, before we wrap up the show, um, we did get some clarity on some of the true freshmen that have enrolled early in, in particular, a pretty significant update on five-star linebacker Justin Flo, who we knew was on, who was enrolled, but we learned a lot more about Flo and his status as well with Cristobal.
0: I think the big thing for me was the weight. Um, Cristobal says he's getting between two two hundred thirty-five to two hundred forty pounds. Um, Justin Flo was listed at two twenty-five when he signed with Oregon. If he's ten fifteen pounds bigger than that, and he can come in and be two hundred forty pounds. 240 pounds, we should say, is also bigger than what Troy Dye played at, and he was playing in a similar position. That's bigger than what Isaac Slade Matuatia played at, and you know, what Samson Sanu play at. I mean, the, the, this is a big-bodied linebacker, so if you have a true freshman at 235, 240 pounds, and we already already know that you have Noah Sewell, who's bigger than that, at 260, um, like that is... That is, that, that, that'll that work. And, you know, we obviously haven't seen Flo in the spring. That was one of the things I think was a bummer, just in terms of he was supposed to be here for the second portion of practices. Obviously, those didn't take place. He was supposed to play in the spring game, and that would have been a huge opportunity just, you know, to, to kind of see what he is and, and, and for fans to watch him. That didn't take place. I think it gives you a little bit – provides a little more of that um, optimism and excitement, even though we didn't get to see him, just knowing that physically he's at that place. And when he does arrive and when we do play games – He is going to be physically prepared for this Um, at at that type of size. And and not to make too many comparisons to Kayvon, but Kayvon Thibodeau, I think, was a little bit... He needed some work in the weight room, and I think we saw that take place in the offseason. He looked bigger and stronger and more physically impressive um, in the spring. And I'm I'm sure the next time we see him um, in the fall, that'll be the case, too. I think Flo was setting himself up and has set himself up to enter physically more prepared to play at this level than what Kayvon was a year ago. And you think about how well Kayvon produced down, down the stretch of the season, and obviously you can't say a guy puts on a bunch of weight and suddenly he's a that much better player. But you have to be, op- I think, optimistic about the type of contributions you can get from a Justin Flo who arrives at Oregon weighing close to 240 pounds and can really step in and just replace that Troy Die position and be that thumper kind of in the middle.
1: Yeah, it's, it's significant news in terms of – If you're at a playing weight when you step onto the field right away, that is light years ahead of everybody else because that's like the year to year, recruit to recruit, you talk to freshmen, you talk to newcomers about whether it's football, basketball, baseball, softball, whatever. You talk to them about the adjustment to the game. It's typically not a skill Mm -hmm. adjustment. It's it's a physical adjustment. It's – Wow, the game is played at a, at a much quicker pace than I remember it being at the high school level. Uh, the tempo of the game is quicker. The, the hits are harder. Uh, players are bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, it's all physical for the most part. It, it, guys know how to play. Skill, you know, skills translates right over. It's can you execute those skills at the new pace, the tempo, the the speed, the physicality? Uh, of that level you're now playing at. And for some guys, it takes them some time, uh, to, to get to that adjustment. And for Flo, if he's at a playing weight and can have the physicality aspect under control, then it just comes down to how quickly can he pick up his reads and an understanding of the playbook and, and execute because physicality is, won't be an issue for him.
0: Yeah, I just think it continues to provide enthusiasm for what this defense can be. And I know you look at everybody that returns, the two spots that are open are, are linebacker spots. And if you can pencil in Justin Flo at one spot, feeling really confident about what he can do, I think you can do the same with um, Mace Funa replacing Bryson Young at stud. You look at a defense that doesn't have a lot of question marks, and we already knew that. But if Flo is the player that we think he can be, and this type of just him putting on a little bit of added weight makes me feel a little better about saying that. To me, that this defense becomes something where it's really hard to poke any holes on it. And of course, we haven't seen them play. We missed a spring game. There's a, there's a ton of question marks still out there in terms of progress that they might have made, but certainly feel like the questions become fewer and fewer if we can say Justin Flo is physically ready to do this. And like you said, um, that all it does is making sure he's in the playbook, knowing his reads. Boy, that's an exciting, exciting thing for me in terms of what this defense can be. I think we already have a lot of optimism and, and room for that. Uh, this just, to me, at least adds to that further. That's going to do it for us on
1: this and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. We're going to have more stuff coming throughout the week. Mailbag on Wednesday. We've also got another Friday show that's going to kind of go into some name, image, and likeness discussion and what athletes on campus right now could have uh, – the possibility of really cashing in on their influence, whether it's on the field or off the field, uh, for their name, image, and likeness. So for Eric Scopel, myself is Matt Prem. Thank you for listening to the show. We will talk to you soon.
0: Adios amigos.